0: What's up? Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Trance. Wow, that was a big what's up. Who, of course. Also you, covers the fired team up? at the Athletic. Yeah, I'm fired up. <laughs> Final show of the season today. Of course, Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintec Studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Yeah, I'm fired up. I, I up? <laughs> uh, What great commercials. <laughs> Imagine being the guy who came up with that. Just put that on your resume for the rest of your
1: career. Dude, that guy made so much.
0: Oh, I know. Seriously. Got
1: dined out on that for decades. Seriously. He goes to the advertising conventions. It's like,
0: that's the guy who invented What's Up. <laughs>
1: he, he writes a memoir. Uh, <laughs> um, so, by the way, we've hit a lot of Canucks talk bingo things already in the early going. Yes. You had a very hearty What's Up. That was uh-huh. your best What's Up of the year. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Ending sick. on a strong note. We had a we had a completely random Dom interjection, <laughs> so we've already filled out two squares. Let us know we've got a assassin assassin, who who text, uh, tweets in, please yell into the mic about how the Canucks process is fundamentally flawed one more time for the boys.
0: <laughs> one more time for the boys. What else is
1: on Canucks Talk Bingo? Like what else? What other hits do we uh, gotta well, play on this encore final edition of the season? definitely uh,
0: i mean definitely a florida panthers anecdote at some point i can do sure. that as, as our listeners might have heard you were used to work for the florida oh, panthers yeah. did, you, did you guys know that have <laughs> i never brought that up <laughs> it's happened once or twice definitely that <laughs> for sure I don't know. We'll see. We'll find. I'm sure we'll find. I <laughs> once more for the boys. Once more for the boys. This cap space rant. It's for the boys out there. <laughs> Going out strong. All right. Hey,
1: the boys love the cap space. The boys rants. love the cap space rants. <laughs> cap space rants are just, for the boys. In fact, just um, dudes being guys. <laughs> <laughs> Talk, talking about cap space. That's uh, at least that's <laughs> those are my conversations.
0: Um anyways, so, yeah, I believe it. 650 650 of course is the number lover text I line. have some
2: breaking news. uh Canucks training camp in Victoria this year. Oh god. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks, Tom. Thank you,
0: Tom. Thank you. Very excited for yes, that by the way. I am. Um, so text in if there's anything you want us to hit, any uh any Canucks talk classics you yeah, want Canucks us to talk include? bingo bingo what's what, what, what your you bingo put boards on our out.
1: Canucks yeah. talk bingo board? Let us know. Let us know
0: 650. And then 650. we'll do it, by the way. Yeah, hey. I have no problem. <laughs> <laughs> in in my in the rundown, my rundown for the show yesterday, I literally typed in like send in some summer off season nonsense you want us to talk about. And then people did. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was great. So I love nonsense. If, if you want to do that, you can send it in uh, as well. Now, because it's the last show of the year, and we do, you know, don't worry, we'll be back in September um, to cover the new season. But this is, you know, a chance to step back a little bit, right, and kind of take a take stock of the big picture, where this team is at, how we're looking at this team going into the summer, going in to next year. We don't know exactly what the roster is going to look like, but I feel like we have a pretty good idea at this point what we're dealing with. And for me, and I mentioned this a little when they executed the OEL buyout, right? And now we've seen kind of the immediate aftermath of what that looks like and what it allowed them to do to the team going into next season. What I really keep coming back to is that we are cle- we're not in the early stages of the rutherford alvin era anymore right we're not in the transitional stage between the benning era and the rutherford alvin era no. this is this is the meat of it like this is now when we're not just talking about the long-term strategy and the process and the vision next year we're really going to start to drill down on okay they've had a chance to put a team together that they like they've had a chance to put their stamp on the team what does it look like does the on-ice vision Work because you just go through the list of things they've been able to do, right? Like handpicked their coach now and a coaching staff. Yeah, they've put a lot of importance on how that's going to shape the team. They've made big bets, I think, on a handful of players. Miller with a new contract, Ronick with the acquisition cost. Even I put Kuzmenko in that, I, right? I, Not trading him and signing all and again. Larson in that, sure. But specifically, the players still on the roster to be that kind of next wave of talent. I don't mean next wave in terms of age. I mean, like, behind Pedersen, Hughes, and Demko, the supplementary talent behind those guys. They've had two summers to bring in players that really fit their vision. Mikhaev, Beauvillier, Joshua, Susie, Cole, et cetera, et cetera. And at this point, like, the the leftover kind of quote-unquote problem players on the roster are probably what? Myers? Like Garland, I
1: guess, from a stylistic standpoint, no. even though he's a good player. Garland Garland, and Besser are, like, issues in terms of the value that they hold, but that's kind of it. You know? Yeah, they're not like, oh, man, how
0: can we play this guy in our lineup and win? They're, they're, at they the, might not, they're not stylistically the players this manager group wants, but they're still good NHL they're players. They're still
1: middle six, credible NHL guys who would immediately get contracts if somehow, like, tomorrow... if, if they Philip Zadina tomorrow. Both would have contracts immediately. Yeah. Yes. One hundred percent. Like like bidders. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I don't think those we can't accept the terms that those are problem contracts no. just because and, and, there's an and, arbitrary evaluation. And even of, if of you do
0: accept that they are problems to be solved, they're not so significant that it it puts like a whole asterisk on the ro- the rest of the roster construction or the right. season. You know what I mean? They're still surmountable problems. Every team has problems. Every team has issues that they're trying to build around. Right, and that's part that's part and parcel of being a GM or a president of hockey operations. So at this point, like this is their roster and. This is their vision. They've had a chance to do a fair amount of renovation at this point. Like, look, three of the top four defensemen next year are going to be players hand-picked. they targeted, handpicked players they targeted. So that's really what I see now is we're clearly any any lingering like, oh, well, they, hand, they, they took over such a mess from Benning or they haven't really had a chance to do what they want to do. And I'm not saying this is their dream roster. Like, obviously, there's still been constraints, but we're just clearly in a different phase of evaluating. What this management group has been able to do, where now it's really it's not just about you know are they picking the right strategy, right? What what was the value on this acquisition? It's well, how does it look on the ice? They've got a chance to they've had a chance to do so many of the things they talked about. Were they
1: right? How are these bets paying off? That's what next year is going to look like. So you're saying that like for Victorian school children, mm-hmm. it's pudding time. <laughs> sure, the proof has to be the there. proof has to be in the pudding. Exactly, yeah. There's no, there's no excuses Why if it would doesn't
0: you put work. put the proof in the pudding, by the way? What's well, that, the, pr- is that, the proof? Where's the idiom from? The proof in the pudding is in the tasting, I believe, right? So it's like you Got can it. look at the pudding, but you don't know so if it's not good like, it's until not you like, actually taste There's not like secret proof hidden in the pudding. You're not
1: like stashing evidence. In no, the pudding. no, 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 no. <laughs> I believe
0: it's, we we just cut it off, but the full saying is like you basically have to eat it. Got it. Okay to know and so this is it like okay we can look at it and say it looks improved but it's, they it's, brought in Rick Tockett. it's putting time <laughs>
1: it's putting time baby I, I look i think you're right you know and and this is one thing you know and and i apply this rubric a lot so it, you know i don't think it's like on the bingo card but it's maybe mm-hmm. you know on the fringes like a, a last minute discard but it's like look at what they do not what they say mm-hmm. right especially mm-hmm. for this management team cuz if you're following what they say you'll have, like, eight different versions of of a plan forward. Yeah. But when you look at what this team has done, right, Miller being extended, he'll be 30 when that deal begins. Mm -hmm. The first and the second for Heronik and the OEL buyout. This is a team that, despite behaving conservatively on July 1st, is not conservative in its construction Mm -hmm. for next season, Right. This was sort of one of the things that I don't want to say bothered me so much as I felt it necessary to push back on after July 1. Like, the club behaved on July 1 in such a sensible, out-of-character way that it almost felt like it rewrote how we got here. And, And that, to me, is the wrong way of looking at it. Like, this is not a conservatively built team. It's, in fact, a big swing team that then fleshed out some key needs with conservative in July one. Yeah. And and so when you behave that way, when you take big swings designed to help you in the short term and, you know, when you extend a 30 year old player for seven years, that's a short term bet, right? When you trade a first and a second for uh, an expensive RFA with arbitration rights, whose deal is expiring, that's a short term bet. Right? When you buy out OEL and you get 75-ish percent of the cap benefit in the first year of that buyout, that's a short-term bet. The short-term bets that this team has placed in their actions tell us far more about the internal priority and expectation of making the playoffs than Alvin coming out and banging the table and being like, we want to make the playoffs, which we're all waiting for that soundbite. Yeah. But we don't need it. We've actually got it. This club's told us what they want for next season. They they want to be a playoff team. And it's, it's really going to be fascinating to watch this sort of play out here because there's a lot of things to like on this roster. And there's a significant amount. Like, once again, the Canucks are entering this season with the following, like, three statements being true, right? You love their top-end talent. Mm-hmm. If the goaltending holds, they'll be hard to beat. There's a lot of risk in their profile. Like, all three things are once again true. Uh, You know what? Let's throw this one in, too. If they can sustain the form they showed under the new head coach into next season, they'll be fine. That's a new addition to the Canucks canon, but it's in there. (laughs) It's absolutely in there. (laughs) It is in there. Absolutely. So, you know, it's it's a fascinating... uh, It's a really interesting place that they're at, and in some ways it feels... Disturbingly familiar, and in some ways, it, it does, you know, seem a bit new. I do want to talk about the risk profile part. Well, hold on,
0: because uh, we we'll get to this. Okay. But uh, you know, we asked for people uh, what should be on the Canucks stock bingo card, and somebody texts in. Uh, bell curves especially the fat part especially <laughs> especially the fat especially part,
1: the fat part <laughs> of
0: the bell curve which i think ties into where you're going right with the risk profile totally of this team so i, I just wanted to get that in there no, so. i mean I, you check know. it
1: off on the bingo card well see the thing about a fat part of a bell curve uh-huh. is that's what that's what's like reasonable to expect yeah right you hope for the best you prepare for the worst but what what, what you're really you know when, when you draft a player right a lot of people will use hindsight to say that was a bad pick, right? And I always really try hard to evaluate the bet placed, mm. right? It's why. The process behind the pick in the moment, right? Yeah. How like, did this pick look on the day of? In a limited information environment, yeah. what value did you prioritize? Like, that's why the LeCarrie Le Car- Mackey can never play a game in the NHL. I'll defend that pick because mm. it was a home run cut in, in a, like, relatively low-skilled draft class. And I thought that made a ton of sense given Vancouver's just need for elite talent. Mm-hmm the lander can be a star player right and i'll always think taking like a late riser who probably has like a top four not even a top pair like top four ceiling when there's potential star players on the board is a, a dramatically inefficient use of an 11th overall pick like it doesn't matter if he hits i hope he does right like i hope yeah, the course. team is right yeah. in his valuation you know, I, I'm, I'm talking about fat parts of the bell curve and I'll always sort of judge moves based off of that with the Canucks, this off season, right? One of the edges that they have is like Petterson and Hughes being top 10 players at various premium, the various yep. premium positions they play is like in the fat part of the bell curve. Right. Then, yeah. It's not an unreasonable, like, Ooh, if everything breaks, right, they could be
0: that good. It's, that what you should expect. Doesn't they, mean it's a guarantee, but no. it's not. No one would be surprised whatsoever if they're absolutely elite at their positions. The
1: well, the, again, and, they've already done it. And the skinny parts of the bell curve are like, can they get better? Which we had a conversation about, mm-hmm. and it's like, man, that would be great to watch. Like, It'd I'd be love very cool to see it. But it's also really hard to be better than a hundred point seventh and selkie balloting forty goal center. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's. A ludicrously high, like to get better than that, you have to start being better defensively than Patrice Bergeron and, you know, better offensively than Dreisaitl and McDavid and McKinnon. You know, like that's, that'd be cool. It's, it's amazing, but like, that's that'd be very cool. That's why that's the skinny part of the bell curve. Yeah. Like, I, I would love to watch it and, and I'm not betting against this player, but the fat part of the bell curve is, you know, Pedersen maintains, you know, his form for now. And then of course there's the downtime, downside risk, which uh-huh. is there's some there's some shooting percentage regression, um,
2: Peterson injury,
1: and, uh, injury of course. Petterson yep. and Kuzmenko don't find the same level of chemistry. Petterson's two way game doesn't take a step forward. What have you? That's the skinny part on the other side. And so Vancouver has two top ten players at premium positions in the fat part of their bell curve. And then you know I think you have this supporting cast of high end guys: Miller, Hironik, Demko and Kuzmenko. And for them, like the the fat part of the bell curve is just not quite as fat. You know, like mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a wider possible distribution of outcomes across all of these players. Like Heronik wasn't just like a, a top pair caliber D last season. He was one of the best defensemen In the sport, like probably a top 20 defenseman in the league, like a 1A quality defenseman. Mm -hmm. And that was predicated off of his defensive play, taking a huge step forward. Now, can a 26-year-old defenseman take a huge step forward defensively? Yes, of course. Yeah. Can a 26-year-old defenseman look like they've taken a huge step forward defensively and then not maintain that form the next season? Also, yes. Right? Like we've seen both of those things occur. Uh, with regularity um, JT Miller right we point per game guy but really struggled five on five and is now 30 years old right has has moved full-time to center they're going to use him in a matchup role his two-way game really rounded into form under Rick Tockett but he also scored three five on five goals in 35 games after the coaching change like that that's not going to get it done when your other centermen are Bluger and Amon mm-hmm. um, Amon and maybe dries right like This team, as well as Miller played down the stretch last year, if this team gets that level of production from him, they're not going to have enough supporting offense behind the Pedersen line. And that's, you know, even that part of it is a little bit dicey because you've got Kuzmenko, who's got one of the most obvious regression profiles I've ever seen. While also having significant reasons to believe that this guy is an efficiency monster, right? Yeah. He's got great hands and tight. Yeah. That shot is incredible. And then you've got Demko, who we've seen have stretches of absolute dominance. And yet, you know, we're going into season four since he became sort of the de facto starter uh, midway through that 2021 campaign. And you can think in your mind's eye of like months in which Demko's been unbeatable. Outrageous. Outrageous. And yet... You know, across all of those campaigns now, like we're, we're waiting. We haven't seen him really go elite and sustain elite over a full season here. Like his career high in save percentage is nine fifteen. It's good. It's really good, but now, it's not. I do think that comes with an asterisk of the environment teams, in front of him. It does. Right. it does to some extent, but like we also saw, like we see goalies dominate better than that, numerically, behind bad defensive, like, we've seen it, we've seen it in this market, you know, I mean, 1920, the Canucks were a terrible defensive team and and Markstrom was a 9-18, right, that got him Vesna votes, like, you know, the fact is, the fact remains is that as good as Demko has been, and I think he's been great, I think he's, you know, top seven-ish goaltender in this sport. We haven't seen him put together that, like, no doubter will be on Vesna ballots, is an elite starter in this league, one of the most valuable players in the league this season. Like, we haven't, that hasn't happened. And he's coming off multiple injuries. I, I believe, by the way, that Demko has it in him. I'm just saying there's a pretty significant distribution of probabilities with Demko. Demko, to me, is not in the Pedersen-Hughes-you-know-what-you're-getting no, tier. And I, Goalies almost well, never Well, that's the
0: thing. I think the biggest factor there is just that he's a goalie. He plays a different position. He plays a position where you should just
1: anticipate a high degree of volatility. Well, but but I also think it's that there's a multiple injuries, right? Plays hmm. 60-plus games, gets hurt, probably comes into last season hurt. I think in retrospect, when we think about his struggles in the mm. ball and and how innocuous the play that he got hurt on was, I think it's worth – Noting that it's probable that Demko was never right before his injury last season. Mm-hmm. So, holds down a high workload, gets hurt, injuries, transitions into the next year, lo- you know, plays poorly, l- loses a ton of time, plays well down the stretch. I, like, can Demko be elite in a heavy workload? is something we have never I seen. I think it's a fair. It's a very fair we, we've question. We've
0: never seen it. I think there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic about Me it. Me too. Right? But I do think, yeah, it's fair to acknowledge that. I defended that this player when he was struggling. It's fair to acknowledge that he hasn't put together the, like, prototypical A1 goalie, you know, elite level season in terms of workload and save percentage at the same time. No, he hasn't, that's, that's just fair context. It doesn't we've mean s- he
1: can't do it. We've seen it for months. We've seen yeah. it for months on end. And And by the way, I don't think that's a bad thing. Like... What if Demko's a world-class sprinter? You know what's cool about having a world-class sprinter as a goalie? That's all you need to win the cup. Yeah. You know, like, that to me is not even a negative. It's not even criticism. It's just that you have to build. You have to manage it. You have to manage and build your team to accentuate, hey, for for seven weeks on end, this guy will not be beat by anybody. That's that's a feature, not a bug, in my view, Mm. if you use it right. Yeah. So... You have just a lot of sort of risk profile on that supporting cast, and, and and then you get to this other thing that I don't know that we're discussing enough, which is, you know, let's accept that Cole and Susie are second pair caliber defensemen, okay? Mm-hmm. I, you can quibble with that if you want, but they've both done it in the past and done mm-hmm. it successfully. Susie, at least in terms of like underlying metrics, if not necessarily
0: in terms of minutes, where he's been playing, right? Yeah, although he has done it, it in minutes, I guess in too, Seattle, too, with, the with first year, yeah. yeah.
1: Then... Let's accept that Mikhaev, Besser, Garland are top six caliber players. You can quibble with that one too. Mm-hmm. But let's accept that. Beauvillier, you want to call him a middle six guy? Sure. Is there any other guy you're going to ride for as a middle six caliber as like a player? Clear
0: cut middle six. Among Vancouver's player. forwards.
1: With no, with like with like middle six is the fat
0: part of the bell curve. No, because I. I, I have one. There are people who wouldn't surprise me at all,
1: like Hojler or But that's probably but not the fact. No, you can't. You can't pencil that in as they're going to be quality middle six guys. There's one more guy that I will ride for, as as a guy who I think can be a, a middle six guy in the fat part of the bell curve next season, and that's Phil DiGiuseppe. And that's because I think his defensive game is mature enough, and he's been productive enough across his NHL career. Like if you go look at his. He, like, scored a fair bit in Carolina and New York. Mm-hmm. You know, like, if you go look at his points per game, it's actually pretty high. uh, 28 to 32 points, most of them five on five, with good defensive uh, results. That, to me, is a third-line player, and I think that's well within what's feasible for D.J. Seppi. He's the only other guy I'd ride for. Like, Bluger, Joshua, Dries, Amon. You know, I think these guys can be helpful. I think they can be good fourth-liners, but I think... And, and actually, I think they can be third liners. Well, that's the thing. But there's a big difference between bottom six and middle six,
0: right? Middle six means, like, if you call Anthony Beauvillier a middle no, six No, middle player, six means third line. No, no, but it, <laughs> no, but it also means, okay, take Anthony Bovillier. If you find yourself in a situation where Anthony Bovillier is on your second line, you don't look at that lineup and go, oh, oh boy, we're in trouble.
1: You don't. You can th- with because no, of, but if who you're, he's with, if you're a cup contender and Beauvilliers on your sure. I- is your fourth best winger, you're looking for a fourth That's best. That's different. Winger. but What I mean is as you know,
0: ice time is not always distributed based on how people take line rushes, right? Yep. So if you're like, okay, well we have a guy who's better than Bovillier who's skating on our quote-unquote third line, but Bovillier has really nice chemistry with our second line center, so he's on the second line, That doesn't kill you. That's different than Bluger or Joshua. Where if you're in a situation because of injuries that Teddy Blueger and Yosel Mon is in your top six. You're like, Oh boy, this is going to be a problem in a way. It's not inherently of a guy like Anthony mobility. That's the difference to me between a bottom six player and a middle six player, a middle six player. You can feasibly slide up to your second line and you don't think it's, it's not like a glaring, glaring issue. You, especially not in the short term, bottom six player. You're in trouble if you're sliding them up to the, to the second line. That's how I think of it.
1: I, I think that's fine. I think that's fine. I, I, I don't, all out disagree with you so much as you know i i just i view a guy who's like you know we're talking about beauvillier and i'm sure people are like no he's a he's a top six his career has 40 points yeah right um bluger bluger's a third line his career has nine goals you know like I, i i'm just trying to be as accurate and objective as I can in sort of listing Mm -hmm. this because I I think where you get to pretty quickly with the Canucks lineup, right? And then this is the point I want to make is, you know, with good goaltending, they can do a lot of damage. If they can maintain their gains from the, uh, from that they made under the new coach into next year, they'll be fine. You love the high end talent on the roster, Mm -hmm. even if the sort of the, the outer tier of that high end talent, it has, has pretty wide distribution of, of possible outcomes and yet, I look at this team and I sort of see, okay, you got this high-end group of five. Maybe you have f- four additional middle six guys, where, where you probably want six. And two additional above-replacement level NHL defensemen in, in the fa- fat part of their bell curve, where you probably want four or five. And a backup goalie situation that is, like, very much in hope-bet territory. Now... Can your Dries, like, again, skinny right part of the bell curve, Dries, Amon, Bluger, Joshua, Milan and yep. Akito Hirose, Arter Silovs, Spencer Martin. Can those guys outperform? Can they outkick their coverage? Can they sort of defy our reasonable expectations? Absolutely. But one thing about this team's risk profile that as I think more and more seriously about what this team is, and this is just a thought I want to leave everybody with as we go into the summer, like, it's not that the Canucks are thin up front. It's not that they're thin on the back end. It's not that they're thin in goal. It's that they're thin everywhere. And that, I think, puts a lot of stress on how much you need to break right for you in terms of fringe talent on the roster.
0: And to bring it back to the point I was making about this is being a real opportunity to evaluate what management has done... They very, very rightly, right? And it's not just Rutherford and Elvin; and it's also Derek Clancy, earned the reputation to be able to fill out the spots you're yep. talking about and get really good performances. It, is
1: Mark Donf- yeah. Donkification on the bingo
0: card? <laughs> it should be. So they have very much made a bet. Not, not a massive bet on any one individual player, but a bet on that group of players that you're listing, which are all guys they've identified for the most part. Not Willanen, I believe. I think he was a, a holdover, uh, I believe, from the Jim Betting era. But on Hirose, on Joshua, on Oman, on the rest of the players in that tier, they are counting on their ability to find those quality, bottom-of-the-roster contributors on the cheap, and for them, as you say, to kind of outperform what reasonable expectations might be, and whether that's from scouting and evaluating them, whether that's from, you know, the synergy with the coaching staff and putting them in the right position to succeed, whatever it is, they're betting on their ability to do that. And that's something we're gonna find out next year. And again, that's another thing that I'm excited for. Is it's not just will the bet on Hronick pay off? Will the bet on Miller pay off? It's well, do they actually have the secret sauce? Do they have they brought it with them from Pittsburgh to mm. fill out the bottom of the roster so we might look at it and say, oh boy, I don't know about that depth. But then in January we're like, you know what? Akito Hirose has been really good for this team. Neil Zaman has been really good for this team. That, that's gonna be a huge part of what determines the success for them next
1: year. It, it's it's everything. It might be It might be the th- the biggest bet. I mean, the biggest bet is the one placed on Miller Haronic. Yes. <laughs> and um to a lesser extent, Kuzmenko. But the like can can this team find 5 or 6 contributors out of guys yep. who in terms of that curve right the fat part sort of falls into hey maybe uh, we're going to take a
0: break. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Now, this one from Lacutus of Borg says, Canucks Talk bingo card must include Drantz vicariously betting on hockey through the Canucks Talk listenership, which I think is a good one.
1: That's true. But there's
0: no point totals out yet, which would have been good. We've talked a little bit about like Pacific Division odds. I don't know. Maybe we'll look at some Stanley Cup futures or something, but
1: that is a good that is a good shout from uh, from Lacutus of Borg, I think. I, I, I'd be all over Buffalo if I could bet on Ooh. hockey. I'd be all over Buffalo because I think they're the best value. In terms of both, like to win the Eastern Conference and to, um, you know, uh, win the uh, win the Stanley Cup, I I just don't think there's anyone close in, in terms of how they're seen by the market and and what Versus I think the value. Well, what I think yeah. the seal, like there is a ceiling case where the Buffalo Sabers are legitimately one of the best teams in hockey, right? Mm-hmm. I don't see that from anyone else valued the way they are. I haven't looked do you know off the top of your head I know and everyone's
0: all over them so it's not gonna be great odds but what the devil's odds are oh yeah they're like, like, have they
1: have they've jumped fully into the like... it's like 11 to one or something yeah for 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 the cup too like yeah, yeah, yeah they yeah. they are I think the third favorite at the moment the last I checked um behind okay to win out right the devil yeah they're 11 to one I really did check that recently yeah <laughs> avsley soilers are sort of the three favorites closely bound and then in the next group you've got the devil's Bruins and Golden Knights Boston getting way too much respect yeah. but you get to 33 to 1 for Buffalo which is the same odds as the Pittsburgh Penguins and like to put this into context the Ottawa Senators are 35 to 1 and the no. Seattle Kraken are 35 to 1 the Flames are 30 to 1 the Wild are 30 to 1 but I can get 33 to 1 on the team with Tage Thompson Rasmus Dahlin, Owen Power in his second season Devon uh, Levy mm-hmm. Alex Tuck Dylan Cousins, like yep. that team's sick. Like, what? How is it possible that we're ra- rating them alongside Calgary, Minnesota? Like, no offense, like those teams could be really good. There's absolutely a hundred ten point upside cases if you want to make them. But is there? Oh wow, that team is clearly the best in hockey. Cases only Buffalo. uh I actually don't hate the Kraken at that number
0: either. I gotta Thirty-five say. to one. Yeah. I don't hate it. Like, well, just because they still have flexibility to yeah. do something if they want. So they, if you think they have that move in them and you want to kind of get in before it happens, I don't hate it. Although tough division and all and, well, that. And,
1: and Ron Francis, yeah, who like doesn't Ron like to make that move? Ron, Ron Francis. You know, the phrase is "keep your powder dry." It's like Ron Francis's powder's never been within a hundred miles <laughs> of the ocean. He's got one of those super deluxe like tents that keep all the rain, yeah. the rain out over his powder. And by the way, I'm not. That's not even criticism. That's just observation right like he clearly left the caroline hurricanes with a lot of weaponry and I, I i'm not about to cast aspersions on a really good job that he's done in seattle but his big move might be we're promoting Riker evans yeah
0: uh i know it's uh the last day of the show because dom is so checked out he hasn't gotten in my ear once telling about me the, to break About we're, the like 35 <laughs> minutes five, five minutes over when we're supposed to break but uh, i will take a break now uh more canuck stock coming up here on sportsnet 650 Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance here on our final show of the year. Live from the Kintex studio, as always, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver. Online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, before we get into the inbox for some questions... Um, are you on the uh, have you started the uh Puck Doku game that's going no. around? No. I think you would enjoy it.
1: I, I definitely would. I yeah. know I mean I know what it is where you match up the yeah, two yeah, teams. Yeah. It's player like the,
0: types. the uh it's like the grid. Yeah, yeah. But there's teams or so, it's like another like, you know, a Calder Trophy winner Yeah, yeah. today 200 plus penalty minutes in a season, which is a lot, by and the that way. That is a lot, yeah.
1: <laughs> you you got to you got to have a good knowledge of the 80s and 90s yes. for that. <laughs> yes. Because the enforcer was not like a thing. People think like the Enforcer, it's tradition, but it's like, it's really a development of the late 80s. Yeah. And sort of lingered through to about 2008. Yeah. And then went away. Well, and even because. Slowly. Slowly.
0: One of them. So it was, like, L.A. Kings and 200-plus penalty minutes in a season. And I was just thinking, obviously, McSorley. Yeah. But I was also – before that, I was thinking, like – I was going back through my Kings history. I was like, look, oh, Dustin Brown. And then after the after I did the game
1: – No, Dustin Brown. No I know. Man. It was, like,
0: high of, like, 96 penalty minutes. Yeah. So it's like – because it's just, like, any, he, any non-enforcer player, you're not sniffing it. No. You're he, not sniffing
1: it. He probably drew 200 penalty minutes worth of penalties. <laughs> yes. Because Dustin Brown is, like – so – and I, I – it's it's hard to talk about this because it'll sound like a value judgment, and it's not. Like I'm saying this with absolute respect and admiration. Dustin Brown's gift, and and instead of comparing him to like a, a flopper in, I'm gonna compare him to like Arian Ro- Robin or Dwayne mm. Wade, right? Like someone who like does it legit,
0: just is like really smart at drawing fouls. No. no, Dwayne Wade wasn't a flopper. No, come on, he got into the paint all the time. That's why he was at the line.
1: Yeah, neither's Jimmy Butler. <laughs> I'm just saying, man. Dwayne Wade is a massive flopper. You just hate the Heat. No, Dwayne Wade was always a massive flopper. Come How about on.
0: James Harden? Yeah, like up his Harden. When He's going into the lane to get fouled. Yeah, the
1: time. all of those guys. All of those guys are selling calls. And Dustin Brown was the best salesman in the history of the NHL. And here's why. Because lots of other guys who were great salesmen. Nazem Kadri was one of the best I'd, I'd ever seen for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, Ryan Kessler was really good. Alex Burrows was really good. Lots of those guys then get the reputation for it, right and stop getting the benefit of the doubt. and that never happened to Dustin Brown. Dustin Brown always got the benefit of the doubt. much Why? like Dwayne Wade. Hmm? Why? I think it was because he was physical and, and I think it was because he was just like really nice. Everything, everything I've ever heard about Dustin Brown is he's like a really conscientious, polite guy. Probably just skating around when he first gets on the ice and like saying hi to the refs Talking asking to the about refs. their families. Yeah. Like new ref refereeing his first game. Like welcome to the show, bud. Like ha, da, da. And Then it's like that guy's great. He definitely got fouled. <laughs> he would there. never sell a call.
0: I don't believe it. Not <laughs> Dustin Brown. <laughs> By the way,
1: uh,
2: he, he LA wouldn't sell Kings anything over two hundred penalty minutes. Yes, uh, Tiger Williams. Tiger sure. Williams. Wow. Sure. There you Doesn't go.
1: mean Dustin Brown should have a statue outside Staples Center. Well, the the statue looks fitting. The statue, they, sh- they should draw a whistle.
2: <laughs> That's like a
1: Cristiano Ronaldo level art <laughs> Have you seen that face, Mike? The Kinkers. Ronaldo one, or the Dustin the Brown? Dustin yeah, one. it's tough. Look it's it tough. up. I right. feel like look it up Statues if you want. Suck. I was gonna say, have we like
0: lost the art of statue making as a society or something? I feel like there's been a lot of really bad ones in recent years.
1: So do you know Michelangelo's David? First of all, is I like, do. Yes. Have you heard? I'm, of this? I'm aware. Have you heard of the most famous work of art uh, ever, other than the Mona Lisa? So there's this statue
0: in Florence. It's called Michelangelo's David. <laughs> okay, go on. It's actually just called
1: David. Yeah, okay. It just happens yeah. to be Michelangelo's. Um <laughs> don't school him on the name. I'm playing Canucks Talk Bingo. Oh, Drance man. makes random semantic correction is absolutely a corner slot. Yes. Like um, so sorry.
2: Uh, Anyways, di- what put, was your point? No, yeah. another digression. Yes.
1: <laughs> and then we'll come back to this. Okay. I used to call bingo at Chalmers Lodge, which okay. is on 12th. <laughs> What you know in high school? All you needed to get service hours. Yes, yours was doing bingo. I used to call bingo for the, for for the you know old timers at Chalmers Lodge every Tuesday and Thursday for an hour, and I looked up like bingo jokes on Google, <laughs> and I'd go up and I'd make all these bingo jokes, including things like um, um, you know, uh, the other day I-, I had to go get a mole checked out. Luckily, it was B nine. B9. Oh, goodness. <laughs> and I wish, isn't
0: it, this is like a Better Call Saul plot. That's how he wins over the seniors. <laughs> like, by making like
1: charming bingo pl- patter. Pretty sure. <laughs> anyway, I used to do that all Bad the time. That joke was B9. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, n- not after, but before. Anyway, I wish I could explain to you the silence in that hall, when I told my bingo jokes, like, and it never dissuaded me, but I to this day sometimes, you know, when you're trying to sleep and you hear the noise of the city and the sirens and on and on, like I wish I could just like turn on the silence the machine, specific <laughs> Chalmers Lodge bingo hall silence to my jokes.
2: Nothing as explosive as What was that in C4. relation
0: to? I
1: don't know. <laughs> anyway,
0: <laughs> you know how you can like diagram a sentence. <laughs> Someone needs to like
1: diagram this segment. So I truly have no idea where that one came out. This one's him. like the, um, like the always sunny meme with Charlie, right? Yeah. It's like, it's like yeah. <laughs> the conspiracy there. So sorry. So back to Michelangelo. Michelangelo's, Michelangelo's David. David. Yes. There we go. Do you know how big it is? It's pretty tall. It's massive. All right. There mm-hmm. we go. Massive. Like people don't realize That's, how big it is.
2: Sorry. I'm oh, sorry. That's, <laughs> That's the detour <laughs> we, we got took there.
1: For how you know how big it is? We it's huge. There. It's 17 feet high. That seems about right. And he carved it when he was twenty-four. Was he in was
0: he in the fat part of the bell curve for his career as a sculptor? Absolutely he was not. He was at the tail he was in the, the far the right side. Far tail.
1: right side. And absolutely crushing So it. An outlier performance from Michelangelo. So have we lost the art of sculpture making?
2: Yes. That's how it tied into it. If someone offered you a bust in some sort of Hall of Fame, would you take it? Yeah, why not? Why wouldn't I? What? Because Ronaldo? Because
1: that oh, because mace. it could go what? like so so wrong. What's the Hall of Fame for? It depends. Broadcasting. It's like, oh sure. I mean, I just don't want to be in the like you know the jerk store Hall of Fame or like something like that. The bad bingo joke Hall of Fame. <laughs> okay, I'd take
0: that one. That one I'd be proud of. <laughs> uh, somebody texted in. David is in the Vatican bozos. Yeah, it I'm is responding not. to it right now. It is not. I said no. <laughs> it, it isn't. It's in <laughs> Thank you, Ben. Producers Ben. Producer Ben has us covered. It is not. That's the best. The super confident incorrect correction. Into I was the
1: literally effects. typing out the text as you read Thank
0: it. you. I appreciate that. Um, Anyways, that was good. That was good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> 650, 650 is the Dunbar Liver text line.
1: Puck Doku to Chalmers yep. Lodge to Florence. To Florence. Killing um, it. Somebody texted me. Which, in. by the way, I think is an Assassin's Creed plot. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah.
0: I've never gotten into those games. Don't care for them. Um, Brandon in Vancouver texts in. According to Cap Friendly, we have 35 million in space next offseason. After factoring in EP40 and heroic extensions, is there a way to add one more high impact player? So the thing is, they have a ton of cap space. They also have Right now, five forwards signed, one of nine, whom is Phil Giuseppe. Nine players. And three defensemen signed, one of whom is Guillaume Brisois. So, yes, you have a ton of cap space. You also have a lot of work to do at all levels of the roster. Obviously, Pedersen and uh, and Hronik, the, the headliners there. But even, you know, like, I like the addition of Ian Cole. He's a UFA. So that's a top four defenseman that you have to fill. Right? Yeah, you gotta figure out a way to do that. You know, you go up and down Anthony Beauvillier, who's gonna be in their top six in all likelihood. He's a UFA. That's something you got to account for. There's there's it's not just the star level players that you gotta figure out. There's questions up and down the roster. And for me, even if let's say they get all those solutions done and you're feeling pretty good and you're left with enough cap space to go out and try to sign a UFA, that's such a hard unless it's like a bona fide superstar, it's such a hard way. To raise the ceiling for your team by going out and doing it in free agency. Like to me, the way if, if you have this leftover cap space at the end of the day, the way you want to get involved is
2: pretty via good trade. class, though.
0: Yeah, for sure. But pretty good class. So, so we'll see. I mean, it'll always get it'll always uh get watered down let's, by extensions, right? Let's go through the exercise. All right. By the way, this person says, guys, I only have 30 minutes for lunch. Can we get even more down a rabbit hole? This is awesome.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I Love that. So sorry. I see 35. Projected cap space with nine players signed yeah. for next season. Um, not a ton of signing bonus or bonus overage exposure for the Canucks this season, aside from Vasily Podkolzin, which if he hits those, you, you'll take that. That'd be great. That means the Canucks have another physical top or middle six forward yes. at least. So let's go, you know, I think I think a reasonable number for Hronik plus Pedersen is somewhere between 16 and 18. Okay, so eleven and seven, sort of a high end projection. Ten and six is a low end projection, right? Would be yep. would be. So let's split the baby, King Solomon call it style. Seventeen. Call it seventeen. Sure. So that brings us to eighteen million mm-hmm. with eleven players on the roster. Now, the average backup goalie these days costs two and a half million. So let's reduce two and a half million because the Canucks are going to need a backup goalie. Both Seelovs and Spencer Martin are expiring. Now you could say, well, Silovs will be cost controlled. They can probably get him for 1.5 or whatever, but it's like, if Silovs has cemented himself as the backup, he's at least a one and a half million dollar player. Yeah. So I don't have a problem projecting two and a half and maybe they save a million, but let's keep it conservative fat part of the bell curve and go with that. We're looking at Hironic or sorry, Hughes, Horonic, Susie and Guillaume Brisbois as our signed defensemen, because even Ian Cole is expired. A UFA. Yeah. So we're looking at at least one top four defenseman. Yep. Let's call that $4 million. And at least one other good third-pair defenseman. And let's call that $3 Yeah, uh, I would say like two, two and a half, maybe. Cole and Susie cost three. Sure, but
0: they're both going to be in the top four. Well, sure, but they're th- like
1: on I, I, on I like I see teams. what you're
0: saying, but I think... If if we're getting realistic about how they're going to try to fill out the roster, it's you know what I mean. They're going to try to save money at a spot like that, I would think.
1: But whatever, we can go through the exercise. Yeah, and and I look, maybe that's possible to do. I mean, maybe you're able to get Hirose in there, and he sure. signed for next season at seven at the veteran minimum or or just above it, seven eight seven or whatever. Um, so I mean, I'm I'm okay with that. But I just think it's worthwhile to go through the options in terms of like an average. Sort of cost, and, and mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. you sort of go to, like, there are how many top pair guys in the league? Sorry, it's just, I'm just trying to think of this. 64. 64. 128. Mm-hmm. So let's just go with, like, uh, the 135th highest paid defenseman is two and a half. So let's go two and a half. Sure. I will I will side with you, having looked it up. Go, go JB. Chuck one up. Big day for me. <laughs> so now we've signed three additional players, so we're at 14 million. Or, sorry, we're at 14 players on the roster. Yeah. 9 million in cap space. Yep. And so that's actually not a particularly favorable spot, right? Maybe you save a million on the goalie if, C- if C- loves hits and is your backup at, uh, and then, and then you're looking at 10 million, right? Maybe Hirose hits and then you're looking at, you know, an additional 1.7 in space. So now you're at 12 million to fill out nine spots. Yeah. I mean, this, this team's cap situation is not rosy beyond this year uh, because of how significant the pedersen heroic liabilities are likely to be and how expensive their supporting cast is. And the key for me in that exercise
0: is what it really drives home is that you're not going to be able to just go shopping for all your needs in UFA. Right. Because if you do the, the exercise that we laid out, and you're like, OK, we need another top four defenseman. Go out and sign a guy for four million. OK, we need a backup. Go out and sign him for market rate. Your cap space is just going to get chewed through incredibly quickly. That's what did we even get to, like, you know, replacing Anthony Beauvillier in the top six or something. Right. And so nope. you're going
1: to have we, to. We, we're talking like 12, you know, somewhere between nine and 12 million realistically. Right. To fill out your forward ranks. Given the expiry of what Bovillier, yeah, and other guys,
0: yeah, I mean that's the
1: key one, Blueger. Um, yes, yeah, the bi- Well, because because here's the other thing, man. Like we talked about, the Canucks want a, a third line center, right? They've brought in Blueger as a as what we like to call a stopgap in our business, right? Mm-hmm. But he's probably a fourth line caliber player. What are the qualities of the best third line centers?
0: I would say defensive and penalty-killing ability, and then also an ability to chip in offensively. Bigger, but, like,
1: that's the kind of... Bigger picture. Oh, cheap? No. What? Big, bigger picture. What? The best third-line centers in oh, hockey... are actually second-line centers? Second sure. Line centers. Okay. All right. Yeah. Right? And those players aren't inexpensive. I mean, go look at the, you know, one edge that Carolina and Dallas had, right? Or, sorry, uh, Florida and Dallas had, was that their third-line centers were on ELCs, right? But... The other two teams, you had Stahl, second-line center, $6 million a year. Now he's making three because he loves it in Raleigh. And William Carlson. (laughs) like You know, like, the team that just won the Stanley Cup had William Carlson as their third-line center. Mm -hmm. And he is a top-line center. So, you know... It ain't easy. Well, and that's and again, I think it is
0: useful to do that exercise for what next summer could look like because it really again drives home the importance of improving the prospect system. Yeah, and you're going to have to find guys who come up through your system and like maybe this could be Atu or Atu if he has a great year at Abbotsford, right? But you're going to have to find guys who are (laughs) who are cost controlled and can give you real, real value. On their performance, you know, mm. this is something we've talked about, right? It's not enough just to have everyone making fair value, right? Because you could argue Connor Garland is making fair value, but we also recognize, like, if you add, if you have a whole roster of guys just making fair value, that doesn't actually put you in that in that greatest spot, right? Because you run out of cap space paying everyone. You just fair made value. me think
1: about a whole team of Connor Garland, and it's just like, oh my <laughs> god. <laughs> But
0: you know what I mean? Like, you got to get big wins. Can you imagine somewhere. how annoying it would be to try and Super defend annoying.
1: an entire team of Garland? <laughs> <laughs> just like a bunch of. Just Even the defenseman. Just a bunch of short guys spinning off everybody and like working relentlessly. Like, yeah. I think that team would be better than our listeners think. Uh yeah, for sure. I mean, he's an he's an above average NHL player and if you have a full if you have roster of above
0: average guys, yeah. Even if they're all if even if they all profile they're the all same. They're all identical. <laughs> <laughs> Who would win? A team of 20 whatever, 23 Connor McDavids or 23 Kale McCars.
1: 23 Connor McDavids. I think so too.
0: I was yeah. just trying to think of like Okay, how far down the like best forward list in the NHL would you have to get to before you take the Kale McCars, do you think?
1: Yeah. Um
0: like would you still take Nathan McKinnon? The all Nathan McKinnon team over all Kale McCarr?
1: Uh I sorry, I'd take on all, all McDavid team over everything. That sounds like no, 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 unbelievable. No, no. But
0: to 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 how far down the list of best forward? So like McDavid, yes. There's no defenseman all defenseman yeah. team that's beating him. Would you take
1: all Kale McCars or all Nathan McKinnon's? All Nathan McKinnon's. Would you take? Except all... it would be a bad time. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the one Nathan McKinnon who wants to eat a burger? <laughs> the one, the guy from Earth too. <laughs> yeah, maybe I would just take a whole team of of Kale McCars. Okay, how about this? Would you rather? Would you rather play a team with four Tyler Myers sized Connor Garland's, <laughs> or five Connor, Connor Garland, Garland sized Tyler, Tyler Myers? Myers? Which team would I rather have? Um, which team would do better? I think the four,
0: Connor, the four Tyler Myers sized Connor Garland's. That's like a Hall of Fame player, <laughs> a Tyler <laughs> Myers sized Connor Garland. Are you kidding me? It is. You know I'm right. I have Those no hands
1: in that frame. This is officially the bizarrest segment, top to bottom, in Connect stock history. Well done. <laughs> yeah, well really. done by us. It really is. Just in time to get out. <laughs> <laughs> just in time to get out uh 650
0: 650 keep texting in um and uh we are going to t- we're going to get back on the rails a little bit here because uh, we are going to talk to our guy kevin woodley of in Goal magazine and nhl.com coming up next year on canucks talk Sportsnet 650
1: catch up on what happened in vancouver sports with halford and bruff in the morning be sure to subscribe and
0: download the show on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Grant. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net 650 650 is the Dumbar Lumber text line. You know a segment was uh, was really popping off when multiple people text in. <laughs> Guys, I just tuned in. What is happening? <laughs> and we had multiple people texting that in towards the end of uh, last thing. We also had a great point, I thought, from Rager, who said, a Tyler myers size garland is Tage Thompson. It's a strong comp. I'm here for that. A strong comp. <laughs> and
1: four Tage Thompsons on a team together? Yeah. I, Let's go. I was thinking about this a little bit. Like, one thing that people, I think – don't understand about Ian Clark Canucks goalie coach sure is if you look at the book of attributes that -hmm. that Clark looks to scout goalies and you look at his star pupils historically and the goalies that he really rides for you don't bump into a lot of six foot six six foot seven shooting guard sized goaltenders and there's a lot of those in the NHL these days Markstrom, Bobrovsky, Luongo, Demko, Demko, who who wouldn't who wasn't a Clark pick, I think had to win him over a little bit with his work ethic. Silov's, um, you know, look at the look at the recent goalies that the Canucks have drafted, like six one sometimes, but like six one to six four. Yep. From an economy of movement standpoint, there seems to be like a sweet spot, and at a certain at a certain height you're maybe an inefficient goalie based on how Clark wants to scientifically approach the technique of the position. And I always find that interesting because Thompson is such an outlier in part because we've seen the like super skilled six foot six, six foot seven forward in the past, like Joe Colburn. Do you remember Joe Colburn? I do. Yes. Guys like that. But for the most part, those guys really struggle to play defense and they really struggle to, like have the pace required to be like a two-way monster. We just don't have a lot of historically successful six foot seven forwards. I was thinking about this because well, that, uh, well, we were watching Vilmar
2: mm, Alrickson,
1: mm-hmm. right? And you could see his body, like still learning how to play the game at his size. Yeah. And it's a really tricky thing, right? Like there's a reason why for the most part, the best forwards in, in NHL history range between five ten 10 and, and six, four, right? Like, Hockey is played on the ground. (laughs) You know, like (laughs) it's not basketball. There there is almost a height at which it becomes really hard to make it. And even in basketball, we got to get to Kevin Woodley here, but the last point I'll make even in
0: basketball, like it's hard when you're over like seven two or seven three. Like the few people who do get up that high, it's
1: like you're it's hard to be coordinated at that height. And when benyama makes his Vegas summer league debut tonight. Yes. And and at a certain height, Yao Ming, Ralph Sampson. Yeah. But like you, 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 you take on a lot of injury risk. Yeah. Anyway.
0: Anyways, now joining us on the show here uh, from In Goal Magazine and NHL.com. He is Kevin Woodley, who I believe just finishing up a round of golf, making some time to talk to us. Uh, Kevin, how was the, uh, how was the course today?
2: Well, I played King's Length with Ian McIntyre, so the company was spectacular, the course was spectacular, and my game actually was tolerable. So, All right, shot, why? Yeah, you... shot, shot an 85 for me. That is, uh, that is not bad, So, and it is about a two-club wind out here, but, uh, man, like, just a little slice of heaven out here. So, yeah, what a beautiful day, and uh, in good company, so that makes it even better. Did you beat IMAC? No, I did not <laughs> beat IMAC, although, actually, I haven't asked him. We, we, let's just say we... Uh, we punted a few down the, the last. The finishing stretch here of three holes is really tough, and so I think it would be close, but I think he had me by one on the front. I was 41, he was 40, and we may be close on the back. So... But uh, as it, I'm his guest here, so he beat me. That's what I should just say all
0: that. <laughs> yes, very good.
2: Um, so I don't know, I mean, just
0: while Well, when we get you on right off here, I mean, I don't know if you heard what Drance was saying about some of the attributes Ian Clark looks for in a goalie and how he doesn't necessarily look for the guys at the high end of the height distribution, right? Your 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, guys, more in that kind of 6'2", 6'3", range is his ideal. Can you shed a little bit more light on the mechanics and
2: the thinking behind that? It's not just about height, it's about length. Mm. And I think length is mo- more important to Ian Clark than height. Now, it doesn't mean that, you know, he's going to be out there chasing 5'10 guys. I think there's, uh, you know, there's an ideal, and it's around that 6'2", six, 6'3 six, range. Um, but I've had Ian tell me once before, uh, I'm pretty sure it was him that said this, because it's, it's a line that I just, I go to all the time. I love it. Um, like, if, if, the, if your perfect size goalie is 6'2", or 6'3", whichever one it is, then two or three inches in either direction, you have to overcome height Mm. both ways. The difference is six foot five gets every opportunity to overcome height. And six foot is much tougher press to get that opportunity. But when we see some of the results that we're seeing, whether it's UC Soros who, I don't know where the hell he was listed this year, but, like, he's 5'10", 5'11", max, right? That You know, it's, like, my favorite story is Jonathan Bernier, right? Like And, and, and Jonathan, uh, you know, I don't know if this has is, is been made official, but he's done this year. Like, he's not going to sign a contract. I believe his career is over. But he had a remarkable career for a guy who was drafted at 5'11", and that may have been a little bit generous. And I'll never forget listing him at 5'11", like, his whole career. And then all of a sudden he got to Detroit, and I, I I did a story actually on small goalies and 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 Joe was one of the you know top sort of quoted guys because he used to sort of watch the other small guys come through and sort of you know root for them, pay special attention to the sorrows of the world and I listed him at five foot eleven out of habit because he's always been five foot eleven, and my editors had to send me a note and correct it no, no Jonathan's six foot. I'm like, oh, so he grew an inch in his thirties. that's always nice <laughs> <laughs> which is which is pretty standard for goalies in the NHL. But you're seeing guys like, whether it's Dustin Wolf, um, UC Soros, like you're seeing them have success. And it just, it's tougher to get those opportunities when you're a smaller guy. I mean, take a look at Thomas Mellich, right? Like, mm. you know, not even drafted to this point. And I'll be curious, if he ends up being another success story at just six feet tall, you know, maybe teams will finally start to learn that, hey, you know, whether it's six five or six foot you have to overcome your size anytime you're outside of that ideal window. And just because you're on the smaller end doesn't mean you can't. Um, We see a lot of guys who are six foot five monsters, but as the game gets increasingly dynamic in East to West, they just can't move. They just can't move without opening up holes. And and frankly, they just can't go East to West uh, efficiently enough to keep up with the pace of today's attack.
1: Kevin, you were at the scrimmage and I had some people asking me like, "Hey, what do you think of the Canucks goalies at the scrimmage?" And I was like, "No one led in a howler and <laughs> I can't tell who's good. What what, what impressions did the likes of Tolapilo and and Ty Smith and and company make on you?"
2: Uh I was really impressed with Tolapilo. Um especially for a guy who, you know, you, you, I mean, we've talked about it over the years, like there's a certain way they play here in Vancouver, they in Clark teaches and you know, Tolopilo talked about it uh, when he met with us the day before the scrimmage about sort of trying to adjust to the multi-stance system. Um, not surprisingly, for a guy who spent the last couple of years in Sweden, he's going to play really wide and really low. That's how they sort of teach it over there. Um, and they'd start and sort of try to get his feet underneath him. And that this is this is part of the challenge of being a big goalie. Um, as the game gets East West and you need to keep your feet underneath you and keep that narrow stance longer in sequences later in sequences, closer to the net, like that's hard to trust when, you know, when he's got his feet in between him and he's more upright, it feels like it's a long way to the ice. Right. So for a guy who's going through those adjustments, I was, I was really impressed. I was impressed talking to him about the way he clearly thinks the position um yeah there's there's a lot to like there. He was more refined frankly than I expected based on all the talk of him being such a raw talent. Mm-hmm. There was more technical acumen there than than I thought. Now listen, the goalies have that 2-day camp they do with Clark before Uh, the main development camp starts. So it would have been like the Friday and the Saturday, they were all on the ice working with him and, and and don't dismiss the role Marco Terranius plays in this too. He was a really good get for them in the American league. Um, And so maybe some of that is like, I didn't see him on day one of that. Uh, What we hear of how quick a learner he is, maybe some of what I saw by the time we hit the scrimmage was actually refined by his time here. Either way, he was not as raw as I expected. And I was really impressed. I, I kind of thought he would like the adjustment to the American Hockey League would be a big ask for him this year. Uh smaller ice. It's just a different game. And uh everything's on top of you a lot more. But and so I thought he would either end up spending a lot of time with the goalie coaches and not playing a lot early in the American League or maybe even be a candidate to spend some time in the coast even though they don't have an official affiliate that I'm aware of. But I, I'm not so sure anymore. Like I just think uh, there's there's every opportunity for him to get to to, to play in the American League, and and I'm, I'm I was really I was excited by watching him more than I expected to be. The other one was uh, Kosk. Oh man, I always thank you very much. You I noticed it. you didn't say it earlier too. So I just forgot. I just, um, forgot. <laughs> I just I, forgot. He was so good last year in the drills. Mm. Like I watched this year him too. Move and, This year, too, there was a three-on-three area game, and he was dominant. Like, no one beat him. Yeah, and you watched him in that last year, too, and especially in the goalie drills. And, like, again, the lengths, right? Forget about the height. It's the length. The ability to extend and seal and have hands over top, like build vertical coverage with hands in support over pads, all terminology that I hear a lot from Ian. Um, And then the game started, and pucks just started going in. And hey, it's a first scrimmage, and there were fans in the stands. And I'm not talking about this year, because he was much better this year, last year. And, and he didn't seem to be connecting those dots. And so you wondered, like, hey, quote-unquote goalie school goalie. It's a phrase I hear, but there are a lot of guys that look really great in goalie drills and then just can't stop a puck when the game starts. And I'm not saying he's one of them. But it certainly, that went to the back of my mind after watching, again, one lousy scrimmage. Could have been nerves, could have been fatigue, could have been anything last year. Did not see that this year. But when he didn't play at Harvard, you started to wonder, right? Mm. Like, yeah, it's the nature of college hockey, and guys don't play in their first year, especially goalies. If you have seniors, like, that's just the way it goes. But you started to wonder, like, hey, at some point, I need to see this guy play games. As good as he looks in all the drills, I need to see him play games. And it was only a short period in a scrimmage, but he looked a lot cleaner with his reads, uh, than he did the year before. The one thing I will say, he also looked like a college hockey goalie. His depth was, uh, he was out there, yeah um, and that's the thing about college hockey. It's a one-shot league for the most part. You just got to make that first save, and so you tend to be more aggressive with your depth, and that will have to change as a pro. But I, I just like the way he connected all those patterns uh, this year in a game situation more than I did last year. Kevin,
1: you brought up Marco Terenius, and I was surprised as I was not not surprised but as i was making my rounds in nashville um chatting with various people in the industry it it seems like his star is really on the rise in in the goalie community like to to the point where i wouldn't be shocked to have reports of him interviewing for for top nhl jobs in the very near future um what can you say about where Terenius is is regarded how his work is regarded in the goalie guild
2: uh, well, I would say that it's that I'd heard some of the similar things. That you know, there was there was some talk of him being connected to Columbus, mm-hmm. obviously. And I think part of that is just Finnish goalie coach and and Kekalainen and being there. And hey, hey, he ended, he ended up hiring Nicholas Backstrom, another Finn, too. So, um, you know, that was that sort of made sense to make that connection. Listen, this is a guy who had a lot of success in the KHL. Um, and frankly, if not for what what happened in Russia politically and, and 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 the move they made into Ukraine would still be there because there's no way you could afford to bring him over on an American hockey league deal, right? Like that's, that's mm-hmm. the reality. They're, the goalie coaches in the KHL make at times more than goalie coaches in the NHL. Um, so um, yeah, like uh, he's a good coach. He's a really good coach. It was a really good get for them last year. It was a get that they don't, managed to achieve if not for the political circumstances in the first place. And then, you know, he's here soaking up, like he, he, me and him, have talked a fair bit when he, when he's in Abbotsford, like he's, he's learning from Ian. Um, he believes very much in, 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 in as one of the premier goalie coaches in the game and is just trying to soak up as much technically as he can. And from a mindset standpoint, like he's, I don't want to say a softer touch that might not be fair, um, but he's got a different approach, right? And so, you know, you look at a guy like Seelovs, who is great technically and great athletically, but when I watched him under Curtis Sanford, like, and, and had this discussion with Curtis, like, it, it, the term I always use, and I don't know if this is politically correct anymore, but James Reimer has always used to use it horny. You're just like, you just want it too much. Like, as soon mm-hmm. as it's, you're in, you're in like shots, so, like, save execution mode way too soon. You're not letting the play come to you. You're just, you're just, you're all over it. You just want to get it, get it, get it. Um, There's a lot of that in his game two years ago, and when he came up this year, it was noticeably absent. It was noticeably improved from two seasons ago to this year, and I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that's Marco Terrenius, um, both in terms of you know the work he does technically with him, which is you know lockstep with what Ian Clark teaches, and, and anything that he didn't teach coming in here that Ian does, he's adapted. And then you've just sort of got a really good mindset and mentality and approach, and so it's a really good mix. and as much as yes, his name is going to surface elsewhere. I don't believe like if there were if there was an opportunity to go to an NHL team this summer, I don't think he would have taken it because mm-hmm. I believe he believes that much in the process of what he's learning here and wanting to be a part of this year. Now, how long that lasts, I can't tell you. Um, you know, but we could be even looking at a succession plan here where he just follows in Ian's footsteps once Ian is either ready to ri- retire or just strictly serve that director you know, part of the title he currently holds.
0: So we're talking to Kevin Woodley, by the way, of Ingo Magazine and NHL.com here on Canucks Talk. So with, uh, with Tolapilo over, Archer Silov's obviously still here. They signed Zach Sachenko. You've got Spencer Martin potentially in the mix for the backup role, obviously behind Thatcher Demko how much of a challenge is it going to be at the AHL level and the NHL level just to manage all of the, the playing time for all of these different guys to make sure you're servicing, you know, the development needs for the players and also the desire to be competitive at, at again, both the NHL and the AHL level?
2: Uh, I mean, they've done it before, right, um, in terms of, and I think especially for Tolapilo, like this isn't a concern at the start of the season, and even Sachenko they're going to be introduced to theories that are new to them as goaltenders concepts, um, how we want to play here in Vancouver. Uh, so to speak, like this is how we do it here. You've got to make this adjustment. And it's usually a learning curve. We saw We saw with Colondelia, right? Like the Colondelia. And I know the numbers didn't weren't spectacular, but I thought he, you know, like I thought he made some strides here, but, but it took some time to get used to it. Even coming in first week in August and working that whole month with him, it still took time. Spencer Martin, the year he had, you know, two years ago, like it took him, he didn't play at all for what the first two months of that season. Cause he was trying to adapt to the concepts. And so there's going to be some learning curves for Tola Pilo and probably even for Zach Sochenko. And so having both of them in the American hockey league, having three guys in the American hockey league in the short term at the start of the season, isn't the end of the world. Beyond that, it's going to be based on performance. And one of them could end up if they can find a spot for them. And that's, you know, that's, where not having an affiliate causes, causes you issues. Um, one of them may end up in the ECHL. But the reality is you're probably going to need at least three and maybe even four to get through an NHL season. So, you know, having extra time to work with a goalie coach, I mean, that's the thing about the AHL. It's almost like college. So much practice time during the week with, with games on weekends. And, you know, they'll be getting those reps that they need to get comfortable with the way they're being asked to play here.
1: Kevin, we were talking in the last segment about the Canucks being a little bit thin all over the roster, up front, on the back end, and obviously in goal. I'm obviously going to ask you about the goalie part, but what are some of the risks that you see in Vancouver's goalie depth, but also just in their goalie situation in full, uh, given the season Thatcher Demko just endured?
2: The risk is you don't have another NHL experienced, proven guy behind Thatcher Demko. Mm-hmm. And so, if Seelovs hit speed bumps, and you need more games out of your backup because Thatcher doesn't make it through the season entirely healthy, and I'm not saying like you know another major three month injury, but even bumps and bruises a week here, a couple weeks there, um, yeah, the demands on the position have never been harder. And the way they teach it, the way they play it here, there's a lot, there's a lot of physical demands on the goalies. The work they do, you you know, you're counting on Seelovs to take a step. I, I, this is why I sort of banged this drum at the end of last year. I would have liked to have seen Spencer Martin after he sort of rediscovered his game with Tyrannius. I would have liked to have seen him down the stretch last year, a little bit behind a team with more structure, right? Cause I find it really hard to judge him because everybody forgets like, yeah, the goaltending really struggled, uh, under Bruce, but that included Demko before the injury was a factor that still included Demko. So I would have liked to have seen him get the opportunity to come back up here when there was a little more structure in front of him so that you have that confidence going into this season that he could be that guy he was two years ago. I believe he can. Now, I'm biased, right? Like, that's just the nature of, that's the nature of me. Um, as Ian said to me out on the golf course here today, as I cheered a couple of putts that had no chance of going in to go in, I'm an <laughs> optimist. And, uh, and, and I'm a, I, I, like, I'm a fan of, of Spencer Martin, so I'm a little biased there. The risk is uh, my belief in him from two years ago doesn't pan out. He loves hits, any road bumps, and you need both of those guys, and you don't have a plan behind them. That's the risk. Uh, you've seen teams need to go four deep. Look at Vegas. They win a cup, Aiden Hill. Um, you know, Loren Bersois missed all that time. Uh, they're into Jonathan Quick as their fourth. there. They went through five last year. Yuri Patera played. So, you know, I get it. There's still names on the market. You know, there's still a Yaroslav Halak up there, five wins from 300, um, who can still play, frankly. Uh, but they're all going to be, they're all going to require, even if, even if, the chairs are all full and everybody's going to have to take a bargain ticket. They're going to require one ways. And I don't think there's a willingness to hand out another one way to the goaltending position here, because you've already got the chance that Spencer Martin's in the minor leagues playing on a mm. one way ticket this year. And Hey, it's understandable. I'm not, I'm not actually arguing against it. Like I fully understand that decision. If, if they don't go and spend that money. Um, cause these, these are names you can get for, I'm guessing, you know, like look at David Riddich under a million dollars. Uh, And and the other part is like, if you believe Artur Silovs is better than a David Riddich then good on you because, because you know, like there's more upside there for sure. Um, But the risk of sort of not having another name is there. How much of a risk is it? Hard to say, but it is definitely a little bit of a risk. And um, you know, if they don't add a name at any point before the season starts, then, then that's the risk they'll be taking. And, you know, again, I, I, I sort of like that you believe in sea loves to the point where you don't feel like you need to add another guy. But but like I said, that risk, however big or small you think it is, is definitely is is definitely there. It's a real thing. And um with everything they have invested in, everything around and other positions and having a successful season, you know, you could make an argument that it might be uh, you know, uh a bit of a f- foolish risk to sort of leave everything hanging on, hey, Thatcher's gonna stay healthy this year. And both of the guys behind him, if he doesn't, can handle an increased workload at a higher level than they did last year.
1: In terms of the size of that risk, though, I mean, one thing about Demko, Kevin, that I just can't escape in my profile or or in sort of analyzing where the Canucks stand in goal is we've seen him dominate for months, but we haven't seen him really string together... Like a front to back consistently excellent season, right like th- th- it just hasn't happened in terms of that like sixty games, stay healthy, be you know nine twelve plus say percentage yeah, yeah. i
2: mean i mean i mean he's been started for two years, right, so yeah, two yeah. and
1: then and then he started the bulk of a third year, right um, do you have any doubt about his ability to handle that this upcoming season
2: um I would be more concerned about his ability to handle – listen, like, nobody – like, the year he got hurt at the end of the year, Mm -hmm. the same year that Soros didn't make it through, right? And they were the two biggest workhorse goalies, right? Like, like, that's the reality for the position. It's not Demko-specific. And I think that injury, two years ago, bled into this season and caused some things in his game that ultimately led to the injury he sustained. I would be more concerned about it and it's a, it is, it is a concern. It's real. It's a real concern. And like I said, without, without a, a little bit more insurance behind him, that's, that's the risk we're talking about. But I'd be more concerned if he hadn't made wholesale changes mm. to how he trains and who he trains with, as he was recovering from that injury, he was introduced to, you know, you talk about workhorse goalies, Connor He is the prime example. And Thatcher was introduced to and now works with Adam Francilia, the trainer who trains Connor Hellebach, who trained Connor Hellebach for the first time the year before he broke out as a Vezin Trophy finalist, who trains about a dozen NHL goaltenders. Um, and talking to him throughout the year, how his body felt before the injury, and watching some of the compen- compensatory patterns in his movement where he was compensating for injuries and it was go- going to lead to another injury and watching them gone after it and how much better his body felt after making those changes and in- in how he trained and how he took you know how he was preparing his body makes me more confident that those concerns are hopefully a thing of the past doesn't mean injuries happen, man. Freak injuries happen. It's a position that puts – the butterfly is an unnatural position for the human body. It was not – the hips were not designed to internally rotate. They were not designed to do what goalies do. That's just – we weren't made that way. But the way he trains, I think, mitigates. So there will always be that risk, but I think the way he's working now mitigates it more than it did beforehand in those two years where he didn't make it through a season.
0: Kevin, just before we let you go, how uh, how happy were you to see the the robust goalie market and see guys getting paid in free agency like they did?
2: Yeah, um, I haven't fully processed it because I, I I was right and then I said the the, the backups to get squeezed. Yeah, you know, and you saw some NHL names taking one way contracts that are easily variable. Um, you know, Ridge would be an example. Um, Cam Talbot in a million, but the Sorokin contract was a real eyebrow raiser for me. I thought that Shusterkin would sort of be the next sort of standard bearer to see. Would we ever see another sort of Vasilevsky Vasilevsky type number? And I wasn't sure, but Sorokin is not far behind it. And I didn't see that market for goaltenders. I thought we were going to get capped around six. You know, Markstrom as a free agent as the premier name that year at six million dollars certainly I thought that was where we would stay, maybe seven max. So what Sorokin got tells me and this is good for the Winnipeg Jets trying to trade Connor Hellebach. Um, because, you know, if if all the top guys are making five or six, then him wanting Vasilevsky type money is, is 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 that's troublesome. But if you're gonna if the top five guys are gonna have a chance to make eight, nine plus, like Sorokin I think was eight and a half. Um, you know, that changes things, that changes the calculus. Uh, it changes the calculus, you know, from um, what, what Stemco got three years left. I believe he's fully capable of playing at that level if he can stay healthy, as you said, Thomas, and get through a full season of 60 games at the level we've seen. Um, and, and I didn't think that would be the case. So, so, as much as I saw some of the lesser lights not get paid chair is quite ugly, and I still hope Jarl Halak finds a seat, because mm. I'd really like him to get to 300 wins, and his adjusted numbers, even when he was here in Vancouver, his adjusted numbers were really good. He can still play. Um, to, to see a top guy get paid like that, I think bodes well for uh, for, for the next generation. Because I and, and and the Tristan Jari money shocked me as well.
0: Kevin, great stuff as always, man. We appreciate it, and uh, thanks for making time for us. Have a great summer. Thanks that is Kevin Woodley of InGoal magazine and nhl.com weighing in on all things goalie related for the Canucks and uh it is an interesting situation got to, again like a lot to juggle a lot to manage Ian Clark is going to he's going to earn his salary earn his title right as as director of goaltending for this team when you look at the depth but also the question marks that they have to to manage and maximize right
1: now yeah the 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 health risk is massive and honestly, the downside risk is massive. You know, even even Artur Silov's. Like, I appreciate that Kevin said he likes that they believe in him so significantly, right? Like, mm-hmm. he, you know, that there's some. It's sensible. In some ways, to create an environment in a, in a position where you need to have confidence, where a guy knows that you're his guy, right? But you know, we are talking about a guy who. At this point, has played 59 professional games, 60 professional games, because he played one in the ECHL, in his career. He's 22. And the numbers in the NHL, 908. Numbers in the AHL, 905. You know, start 25 games for an NHL team with playoff aspirations is a big ask, Mm -hmm. given that profile. 650-650 is the Dunbar-Lumber
0: text line. Final segment of the year, coming up. Next here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trans, live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street. Or Dunbar Lumber Express at L- Adner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Um, I think your, uh, your pedantry is, is rubbing off on producer Dom. Because going into break, I said it was the last show of the year and Dom got on my ear. You're going to do more shows in 2023. People use year and season interchangeably when we're talking about hockey. No. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> you're right I, I, you're right. actually they on, don't
1: i'm actually on team jamie here thank you yeah, yeah wow yeah that's too much pedantry you're even always for on me. team jamie even for
0: drance that's too pedantic dom think about that think about that
1: for a second i, I want everyone to know this isn't a bit this is just how i am it's the worst. That's true. Yeah. It is true. Like in my the amount of times I correct my wife over absolutely nothing and she just looks at me and I like <laughs> get that look that <laughs> it's like I've done it again. Why would you mm, say yes, that? What motivated Patrick. you to do that? Yeah.
0: <laughs> what did you think was going to happen? Um six fifty six fifty is the Dunbar lumber text line. Uh Alan Calgary. Uh, Texted in, he's saying, uh, So last year, I remember Drance finished the season with a rant about his thoughts of the team and the direction. Could you guys do a similar thing this year where you discuss the state of the team? I mean, I think we did that in the first segment a little bit, kind of how we're viewing it going forward. I, I did just want to bring up the kind of lingering questions going into the summer. I mean, obviously, we've talked about a Patterson extension. We don't get, we don't, uh, we don't need to go over that. I did again. the good, I
1: did the rant yesterday.
0: Yeah, that's obviously. Um, the Patterson extension is obviously the big lingering question. I mean, I will say, in terms of, like, press conferences that could feasibly be held in the summer by the Canucks or, or going into training camp, the one thing I'm still very curious about, and this is much bigger picture, is do we at, at some point between now and, like, the end of next season – get a roadmap in terms of a practice facility and like the long-term vision for the rink. That would be the other big one that comes to mind for me. Do we get do we get some clarity about, hey, here's what we're trying to do. This is These are the sites we're looking at. Here's our vision for the renovations we're going to do long-term for Rogers. Because when I think about just, again, big picture, long-term stuff around the Canucks, I think you just naturally keep coming back to those
1: two things. Well, the practice rink thing got underlined too by DevCamp. Right, I mean I've said it a few times, but the fact is is that yep. for most of those players, those are the drabbest facilities they'll occupy. And and those aren't NHLers, right? To to have an NHL team at their dev camp offer, you know, U sports level facilities to NCAA players and Swedish pros and on and on. Um, it's not ideal. Far from ideal. And and there's the logistical issues, right? Like the Canucks were hosting You know, educational uh, sessions and seminars at the game rink, and then bussing out to practice at UBC, which is pretty far. They didn't even have the the best of the three rinks. They were changing between the rinks, and it it seemed haphazard. They were kind of reacting to on ice conditions Mm. as opposed to, you know, um, approaching it with a two rink setup in mind. You, You need two rinks to do this much practice. Like you cut it up too much. You need two rinks. Well, with that many guys on the ice, well, right? Yeah. And three sessions a day, yeah. ten coaches. I mean, it, you know, you you really do need uh, a better facility, a more... And, and, by the way, this also pertains, too, to the Rick Talkit discussions prior to the fine about guys working out with, in the summer, right? Like, we want guys to come back here and, and, you know, stick around and work out here. And it's like, but they have better facilities where they live. Like, you you don't even have the facilities edge of, like, stay close because we
0: have this, this, and this. Because look at the weight room we have and look at the, how easy the access is to the rink or to the practice facility and all that. You, yeah. you can't
1: work out and skate in the same place, Yeah. right? Like the Canucks gym at Rogers Arena, there's no ice down there. So it, it's a hard sell, right? Like, you want to build a whole model based off of the fitness and preparation of your group, the accountability. Um, you, you, you know, you need to offer players the infrastructure to enable that. Uh, In fact, that's a key part of that pitch has to be, has to be. It's been 14 months, 15 months since Jim Rutherford first offered up the fact that the practice facility was a priority for the organization. Now now Rutherford hasn't been available in a while. We, we asked Patrick Alvine at the end of season address. I'm sure we'll ask him again at the start of season address, but there's been no news of progress. Uh, no, nothing leaking out from like municipal reporters either about like talks between the city and the team about a, a parcel of land. Um, Thirty teams in the NHL have a designated practice facility, and lots of them are beautiful. You should see the one in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And it's not just that the team benefits and the players' benefit, and that the very holistic vision of player development and and fitness and preparedness and accountability that this club has offered up, is sort of hinges on, on having that infrastructure in place. But also, like, the city of Vancouver hasn't added a rink in, in like, 25 years. Um, you know, we talked to Jaden Lipinski about the impact of playing for the uh, Arizona Junior Coyotes and the Anaheim Junior Ducks. There's no Vancouver Junior Canucks, right? Like, we just had a golden generation of Canucks draft eligibles, several of whom are huge Canucks fans, right? Mm-hmm. Crystal and Bedard in particular – and for the most part, you know, their their relationship to the team was a, a fan-based relationship, right? One driven by the generations of loyalty that this team has built in this market as opposed to being instructional, right? Like, it's not like the Canucks had a hand in, in any way, frankly, aside from being fun to watch when these kids were young uh, in, their, in their development at all. And that's pretty distinct from a lot of... NHL teams, especially those in non-traditional markets, uh, you know, a little more common in Canada. Um, you know, I, I was covering the Kraken in the playoffs, and it's like, the practice facility was filled with kids. Yeah. Like, 50 kids. There is a community service aspect. Well, I was going to say, because the Kraken one is, like, it's it's their
0: practice facility, but then it also has a whole bunch of, like, rinks for community leagues, and, you know, it's a, it's a community
1: well, facility as well, right? Most of them do. I mean, think yeah. about how much ice an NHL team needs in any given day, right? Like, you build a practice facility, you've got two to three rinks on it, right? And your team uses one of those rinks for two to three hours a day. There's yeah. a lot of additional time. Yeah. And to make it work economically, you, you necessarily – Need it to be a community rink. You need beer league. You need instructional um, sessions. You need to build up a figure skating department. Mm-hmm, you need to mm-hmm. like there's there's a whole host of things that go into running it, um, and running it well and well and running it profitably and sustainably. But in so doing, you also offer instructional resources and a hard touch point to the community. The Canucks just haven't done this for you know 25, 30 years. Like the the there's been no progress in this area. And it's a shame. Like, honestly, it's a shame that the club hasn't been far more proactive in being a a more active part of the hockey community in this market.
0: Well, and I think, you know, thinking about it from the city perspective is really interesting because, you know, as somebody who lives in Vancouver, there is a clear need for a kind of first-class facility like this. And somebody texts in, how is it we are 13 years removed from being an Olympic city Yet there aren't enough facilities in this city uh, for a league-level practice arena or they haven't built one? And I I think of uh, something like the Richmond Oval, which if you've ever been out to the Richmond Oval, incredible and like that was built for a very specific high level elite athletic purpose and now it's this just incredible community asset right like it's great if you're out there and I think there's an opportunity to do something like that where okay we're building it and maybe that's what gets the funding and we build it for the Canucks but you can also include all these amenities so it's also just an incredible community space right and something for the city I think that there's a lot to be said there from both sides of the equation, from the city's perspective and the Canucks' perspective. There,
1: it's an it's an expensive proposition, right? It's an expensive proposition, and the club has had some deals in the past, like the Plaza of Nations deal, that fell apart, you know, fundamentally based on the on the cost of so doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, at some point, when you're a property like the Vancouver Canucks and you've appreciated ten times over since since they were last sold. In uh, 2007, the, the Aquilini family completed the majority purchase. I, I'm pretty sure. I, I think the minority ownership transfer in 04 and 07 was the, was the majority purchase. Um, you know, at, at some point, if you're not going to have these facilities, there are competitive disadvantages that you incur. We saw them last year, by the way. Like the, the training camp that the Canucks held out at UBC on that ice with the dehumidifier sort of not necessarily working that well. Um, there's no question in my mind that the club's preparation was off as a result, not to mention the impact on the vibes, not to mention the plethora of injuries that were sustained out in those UBC practice sessions. It, you know, there's a lot of soft non-roster investment that this franchise absolutely requires. We, we we see from all the people going to concerts and sharing screenshots that some of it's happening in bowl, but like the ice quality at Rogers arena, it is not what it used to be, mm. right? Like, that facility is old. Uh, and then the lack of a practice facility is really putting the Canucks well behind the eight ball versus teams like, you know, Vegas, the LA Kings facility in El Segundo, which is like 10 minutes from the beach, right? <laughs> the The new Florida Panthers project down in, like, do you want a Kachuk to want to, to try and drive their way to Vancouver? Like... Six seven years from now, when this wave of Canucks-born prospects or Vancouver-born prospects is hitting free yeah, agency, yeah, wouldn't it be nice to, to have be cutting the ribbon on this like state-of-the-art practice well, facility? Or yeah. or yeah, I mean, wouldn't it be nice to not to have like world-class facilities to be part of the lure mm-hmm. and not just leaning on the sort of laurels of of generational fan support and how much hockey matters here. You know, there's ways to lean into this and make it work for you from from a competitive standpoint. And uh, Corbett texts in. Where would be the ideal spot? I think the ideal spot is somewhere
0: close to Rogers Arena. Now, I I will acknowledge there's a caveat here that is a lot different from some NHL markets, especially like Vegas and Florida, where real estate is no, re- both real estate's expensive. Expensive, uh, yeah, but there's a lot more. There's a lot more open land. Yeah, there's a lot more open land sure. than what but, we're. But they're building about. in downtown Fort Lauderdale. Sure, but. I think like that is a fair now, Seattle is a similar situation and they got it done, right? So it's not like it, it it's a little outside, it but that's okay doesn't preclude you don't from getting downtown. it done. But I do think it's a fair caveat to keep in mind. Like, yeah, it's a complicated situation. Building building a big, big time facility like this in downtown Vancouver, given costs, given availability of land, constrictions on land, it's it's uh it's difficult. Doesn't mean you can't Do it. You shouldn't try to do it, but I think it's fair to keep that in mind. The Plaza
1: site was unfortunate, right? Like that would have been absolutely perfect. So, look, it's it's a complicated one, but given given how often we see the seams of this, you know, like if you were watching Dev Camp with a with an understanding of what it takes to run it logistically, and what it looks like in other markets, you could see the seams of this everywhere. Watching at training camp last year, and we talked about it all last year. Mm -hmm. Like we were bringing it up, you could see the seams. You know, given that, I do expect an update. Like, yeah. the club, the club should be updating the situation.
0: Well, no, this. as you said, it was asked about at the year end. It's it's gonna be, it's gonna be the kind of thing that keeps getting asked about until there's an answer, one way or the other. Yep. until there's some finality. Oh, until and, there's progress and some certainty. Yeah. So, uh, or they put it to bed. Right. We're not doing it. Yeah. Well, then it becomes asked about constantly too. I think. I don't know if it does. I. Like I see what you're saying, but I think it's at least it, it at least pushes it off the radar. Then you, you don't want to be bit. in the company of the Calgary Flames in terms of team ownership in terms of facilities. Yeah. Um. Six fifty. Six fifty. Final few minutes here. Tanbeer texts in. Final segment of the year question. I have Hughes to win the Norris next season. There's no question in my mind. He's a top two D man in the league, and it's about time the league puts some respect on his name. My odds are ten to one. Will Canucks talk tail my bet? That's from Tanbeer. I don't hate ten to one on Quinn Hughes to win the Norris. I mean, I think it's a really, really difficult award to win. The Canucks probably have to make the playoffs. I do think the best argument in favor of Quinn Hughes is I think he's passed. Now, what? Where did he finish this year? Eighth, ninth, something like that in in Norris voting. Um, he finished ninth. Ninth. So I think the question is, has he kind of? has he jumped over the reputational hurdle enough where if he is a top 3 defenseman in the league, you know, people don't have any any hesitation to vote for him. And I think he has. Not that he's been a finalist or a top 5 guy or anything like that, but I think there's enough recognition around the league where it's plausible that he could win if things break right for right for him and for the and the Canucks as a whole.
1: Uh sure. I mean, I'm I'm just pulling up the overall odds. So Here's the relevant, like Vancouver Canucks futures odds uh, across the board. Mm -hmm. You've got Elias Pettersson plus six thousand, so sixty to one to win the heart, sixty to one. Yep. Does that not seem very favorable to you? (laughs) That's what I was about to say. Like, Like extraordinarily so. Like. Him and Sorokin are plus six thousand. Jack Eichel, Kyle Connor, plus five thousand. Kyle Ran- Connor shorter odds than M- Elias Petterson? Miko Rantan, plus four thousand. Makar Robertson, plus three thousand. And then you get to like Kucherov and Tage Thompson and Jack Hughes and, and company. Um, Thatcher Demko, thirty to one, plus three thousand to win the Vesna. And now here's the Norris Trophy odds. Kale McCarr is the favorite, plus 175. My goodness. That's outrageous. That's so good. Adam Fox, plus 500. Rasmus Dahlin, plus 800. Okay. Charlie McAvoy, plus 1,200. Miro Haskinen, plus 1,200. Quinn Hughes, plus 1,600. Okay. And so then you've got odds. Yossi Hamilton, plus 25. So this is these are opening odds. So Tanbeer looks mm. like he got a, a lesser price on, on this bet than, than what it opened at. So implies that it was probably a um a popular a hot bet. bet. Um I way prefer the value on Petterson for Hart because the thing about the Hart trophy is like if Vancouver improves by like 20 yes. points and he has 100 points, points again like and and maybe like improves a little bit on the PK, you know, mm-hmm. there's something about that that I, that I can see that narrative now maybe the the attention goes to hughes right like you're betting in part like put it this way if quinn hughes got hurt and the canucks made the playoffs right right then you're really like then you, then you're getting that like henrik Sedin in 2010 narrative heft going going behind you i, I think i like petterson at longer odds to win the heart a little more than i like quinn hughes uh to win the norris not because of their actual chances, but because of the value there. The value, yes. You know, uh, Quinn Hughes finished ninth, and I really struggle to understand how he can play better unless the team does better, right? Yep. Whereas with the heart, I but feel I like think... you're. Uh, put it this way. I feel like in both cases, the team needs to perform well yeah, for them to be serious contenders, and you're baking in more of that value with Petterson. With For sure. And the thing with Petterson, and I know this always comes up with heart odds, right? It's like, well, McDavid's just going to win it.
0: He doesn't always. He doesn't always. And you don't need him. He didn't him. win it last year. Right, the previous, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like the, we're, That's well, the thing, and he had 123 points. So, like, if he has 115 points, a lot of voters are going to like, meh, which is ridiculous, but that's how they're going to look at it, right? Like, if he regresses from over 150 points, or, or, he's not going to get the same type of uh, of automatic votes necessarily. Or
1: if Edmonton's fourth in the Pacific and getting the playoffs on a wild card, and it's like, okay, well, he scored a lot, but the team wasn't yeah. great. I you know I mean there's lots of ways like Nikola Jokic not winning. There's lots of ways the fatigue yes. kicks in when you're you're actually like significantly better than everyone else. And online. I do
0: think with the heart as opposed to the Norris, sometimes you get this with the Vesna. But like the, the story matters more for the heart. You know what I mean? Whereas absolutely the Corey Norris Perry. is much more. This guy was just awesome. This guy was really good. So we're going to give him the Norris. And as you say, there's that. There's more of that narrative potential with Pedersen. you know, just because he's the center and he's the forward, and you know, voters look at it. Ah, well, we'll give. We'll vote for Hughes for the Norris, but we'll vote for Pedersen for the heart. That kind of thing,
1: right? Eric Carlson plus three thousand. By the way, like you're you're telling me you'd rather have Hughes at plus sixteen hundred as opposed to Carlson at to plus. Repeat. Well, because. I mean, what happens if he ends up being traded to, like, a top American market? Mm. You, you know, like, there's going to be a whole new level of exposure.
0: Although I do think it's kind of like, remember when Russell Westbrook won MVP because he had a triple-double? Mm. And then he had a triple-double again not the next season? And they're like, ah, but we don't want to give it to him again. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I feel like there's a kind of thing like that with Eric Carlson. It's like, we already recognized what you did. Even if you do it again, No, but if,
1: we're if, not going to do it again. If he went to a great team and did much of it again, 80% as much again, but was was doing it on a winner? Yeah. I I think that changes the narrative. All right. Hey,
0: we got to go. Thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you to everyone for texting. We really really appreciate it. We'll have a couple months off. Uh thank you to producer Dom, producer Lena, a rotating cast of ops as well uh for bearing with us. Uh thank you to you. Drancer. Thank you to you, bud. You, you put you. up with me
1: all year. Yeah. That's good, right. Good for you. I'm yeah. glad I'm glad we ended the show talking about esoteric and NHL futures. Betting odds. odds? Yes. Absolutely. Fantastic. Very on brand. And Yes, yes, Dom.
2: Uh, Vancouver Canucks training camp in Victoria. All right. Thank you.
1: And just want to thank everyone who listened to us both on the podcast and on the radio. We had a blast doing it. Thank you for your support. Can't wait to do it again next season. Yeah.
0: It means a lot. We appreciate it. Thanks for texting. Thanks for listening all the time. And uh, yeah, we will be back in September. Have a great summer. It is Sportsnet 650.